Uh, it's really good to be here. Um, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always delighted to be at Orangewood. I've got such respect for the, the, the staff and for the pastor. But usually I'm not really intimidated when I come here, but today I am because Jeff's here, and usually he's not here when I speak, so I can tell him when I see him later on that it, it went really well, and, and he doesn't know any different. Um, so today I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous. So, uh, but I think in spite of that nervousness, I really am excited about being here with you. But maybe, just maybe, I could be distracted by the noble cause of preaching the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the idea that you and I are wired by God. You and I are made by God to be distracted by something that's noble by something that matters. That that's, that's kind of our uh, spiritual ADD we, we focus on. We have a natural tendency to go toward uh, things that are noble, things that are eternal. And so that's what our topic's going to be. But, but before we talk about him, before we look at his word, and before we um, talk together about that, let's talk to him. Could we pray together? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the privilege to be here this morning. I pray you'd meet us here this morning. Most of us don't feel very noble. Most of us don't feel like we are caught up in noble causes. Most of us just feel like we're surviving. And you know every person in this room. You know the people that are struggling with whether they can go back to work one more day. You know the people that are struggling in their families and their marriages. You know the people doing well. You know us all. Father, it is a little, it's both delightful and terrifying that you know us the way you do. And now would you meet us here in this place, in this time, this morning? Would you change us because we, we came together to worship? We came together to know you. So would you meet us here? Father, for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you use this time to disrupt them? For the people that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort them? We pray in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I want you to know this morning, I promise you this will not be a sermon about weight loss. And let me tell you, this will not be a sermon where... And, and I, don't want, I don't want your recipe for, you know, for white chicken or, you know, chicken chili. I, I really don't. But I want to tell you, what made me think when Jeff was asked me to speak, he asked, what, am I, what would I want to talk about? And I, I said, lately I've been enamored by the thought of us being distracted by a noble cause. And so he, he wanted me to unpack that for you a little bit. And so... Let me just unpack that just for a little bit, and then we'll talk about how it applies to all of us. Um, I, I, I've lost about 40 pounds in the last eight weeks, nine weeks, which is kind of a big deal. Now, I know the research, and I know the odds are that people that, that are overweight end up being back overweight again. I, I know that that's the... That, and I may end up being like 700 pounds, and they bury me in a piano crate. Who knows? But for now, in the last eight weeks, 
I'm a guy who could have done a, a lecture on how to lose weight. I could, I could, I knew, I could, I could tell you the, the way that you're supposed to, how you're supposed to eat and how you're supposed to exercise. And I know all that stuff and I know it well enough to where I could have done lectures on it. But for whatever reason, I wasn't that motivated to do anything about it. In spite of the fact that I would hear people say things to me like, you carry your weight well, which really just means, you know what that just means. It's like, you're really obese, but you don't seem that obese. It's really a, it's one of those compliments that's not really a compliment. You, you wear your weight well. I'm not even sure what that means. What was the difference? Now, again, I'm a little nervous in talking about this. I still got 30 pounds to lose. I, um, and, and, I, and I know that I might get distracted by a lesser cause again. But I'll tell you how, what, what motivated me. About three or four months ago, I guess, I had, I had kind of a heart scare. You know, when they went in, they did one of the little, I'll spare you the trouble, but they just had one of those heart scares. And as I came out, the doctor said something like, you know, you've got, uh, you, you've got to be more careful, do something with your lifestyle, you need to lose some weight and all that sort of stuff. All the stuff that I've heard a hundred times. And I was sitting there talking to my wife after the procedure, and, and I think I said something like, well, Mona, they decided I didn't have blood, that I really just had, you know, buffalo sauce in my veins, and and they're not concerned about a clot. They're more concerned about blue cheese getting up in there. Um, I often hide behind humor when, uh, and I thought that was pretty funny. Um, my wife didn't think it was particularly funny. And I remember with tears in her eyes, she said, um, um, we, have a, we have a special needs son who's 27. Um, We'll be 27 this month. And she said, uh, if you die tomorrow, that you, you die tomorrow. I mean, your days are numbered, whatever, however long you live on earth is how long you live. But if you end up dying early because you just couldn't not eat a certain food, I just want you to know that'll be really hard because I don't know if I can do this without you in terms of taking care of our son. Now, I might die tomorrow, and as all of us might. But all of a sudden, something changed in me as, as, as there's tears in her eyes saying, um, something changed in me, and all of a sudden, there was a more noble cause. You see, I had noble causes about the way I dealt with food. They had to do with comfort. I mean, they, they really did. That's a noble cause. It's not that that's a bad cause. I, I would, I would, it'd be a long day, and I'd say, well, I'm just kind of tired. I, I deserve a little bit of, a little bit of comfort. Or sometimes my, my motivation about food was the noble cause of entitlement. I deserved, I'd worked hard. After you work hard, I mean, I think you, you deserve something. I mean, after all, doesn't Jesus say at the end of my life, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Oh, wouldn't that be delightful if that's were the case? And so I would, my noble cause was comfort or entitlement or, or just pleasure. Those aren't evil things. But they're lesser than what, they, what the more noble cause that hijacked that. 
And so as I started to think about what's been the difference, I mean, I, what's been the difference so far? And then, like I said, I've got a bunch of pounds left to go, but what's the difference? I think I, I was reminded that God wired each person in this room, every image bearer of God is wired to be distracted by noble cause, by a cause worthy of your soul. You're made that way. <laughs> you know, remember when, remember when Paul, excuse me, remember when Peter, when Peter says that you are part of the royal priesthood, that's a, I mean, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made for noble cause. You know, the researchers tell us that you can live, that, that purpose really matters. You know, when they've studied prisoners of war, they found out that the strong don't necessarily be the ones that will survive and the weak aren't necessarily the ones that die. It's the people without purpose who die and the people who have a strong sense of purpose tend to live in those very difficult situations because God made us to live with a sense of purpose. And thus, the gospel comes in. The truth of Jesus Christ comes into our lives and all of a sudden, you and I are invited to be distracted by a noble cause. The noble cause. So the first thing I want to tell you this morning is that you were made for noble causes. You were made for noble causes. Second thing I want to tell you this morning is that if there's ever something you want to do, but you can't do it, whether I want to be a, I want to study my Bible more, I want to lose weight, I want to be a better person. If there's ever something you say you want to do, but you can't do, I would suggest it's because a noble cause has been hijacked we're hidden. We are, we are, here's a fancy word, we're teleological beings, meaning that our behavior is moving us in a direction. Our behavior is moving us in a direction. There's a reason we do what we do. And when you can't do what you say you want to do, it's because underneath the waterline, there is a, a hijacked noble cause that you're being faithful to. It might be that you want comfort. It might be that you want ease. It might be that you want peace. It might be that you want justice. It might be, I'm not sure what it is. But if you ever can't succeed at something you say you want to do, don't just try harder. See if you can face what might be the noble cause you're being faithful to. What noble cause has been hidden or hijacked? You know, reminded of the passage in Jeremiah 2, where it, it says this, my people have committed two sins. Now, you know, the, you know the, the context. People are in a desert, and in a desert, you're thirsty. Isn't it amazing in Scripture how often God uses language that's visceral to talk about us? We're thirsty, we're hungry, we're crippled, we're slaves. The, the language, the visceral, visceral language that God uses to describe us. It's not just you're inconvenienced. It's you're thirsty. You're in a desert. You're blind. The picture is my people in a desert 
have committed two sins. They've turned their back on me, the source of living water, and they've dug for themselves broken cisterns that don't hold water. Now the picture is very clear. People in a desert are thirsty, and instead of trusting God with that thirst, they have developed an elaborate system to meet their own needs. Now notice that passage does not say this. It does not say, my people have too deep longing. Their longings are too deep. They are too thirsty, and they should not be so thirsty. It doesn't chastise the people at all for being thirsty. It chastises them for what they do with that thirst. And I would suggest to you that, that for most of us, our problem is what we do with the thirst, not the thirst. Most of us spend our whole lives trying to kill the thirst, trying to quelch the thirst, trying to say, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, I'm not going to be thirsty. God didn't chastise the people for being thirsty. He chastised them for turning their back on God and for developing them a broken cistern that doesn't hold water. I love the way C.S. Lewis talks about our incredible propensity to live for lesser causes than the noble causes. Remember the famous quote from Lewis when he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite love is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You and I are made for noble causes. We're image bearers of God. We're part of the royal priesthood. And inside you, you know that. It's why the stories that you love are stories of noble causes. It's why what stirs you are, 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 are great stories and movies and books about noble causes. And when you see someone fighting for their last, with their last ounce of, of strength for something that matters, it, it stirs at the very core of you because you're made by God to long to be about a noble cause. So the first point is simply that you're made for that. The second point would be that when noble causes get hijacked and hidden, um, which is Satan's plan, Satan wants you to live with hidden and hijacked causes. And that's why you can't do the things you say you sometimes want to do. Third thing, with the primary result of a hidden and hijacked noble cause is exhaustion and frustration. If you find yourself, I don't mean just once in a while, but I mean on a a regular basis, exhausted and frustrated, then I would suggest that somehow God would like to invite you to reconnect with his noble cause. 
What, what is, how do I know that that's true? Remember the passage in Jeremiah we looked at just a minute ago? What does it say that'll happen? It says that the people committed two sins. They turned their back on God, the source of living water, but then they dug for themselves broken cisterns. They dug a well for themselves. They, they made a way to meet their needs outside of God. They basically said, thanks God, but I'll take care of my thirst myself. I don't, I'm not gonna trust you with my thirst. I'm not gonna trust you with, with, the, with my deepest longings because they're too much. I'll trust me with my deepest longings. And what does it say happens to them? Well, they, get, they dig their well, they build their cisterns, they get their system together, but it doesn't hold water. It doesn't, it doesn't provide all that they think it will. And how often have we sold ourselves for hijacked noble causes and found ourselves just frustrated because it didn't provide what we thought was promised. Next, I would suggest to you this. That most of what is wrong with you, most of the struggle that we have with addictions does not come from a bad desire that has become um, exasperated, but a good desire that's been hijacked. The man who struggles with, the man who struggles with, with pornography, pornography is ultimately not about sexuality, it's primarily about inadequacy and and there's something that's godly about not wanting to feel inadequate. It's just, and God doesn't chastise us for struggling with inadequacy. He, trusts, he chastises us for going to something as foolish as that. You see, the problem is, our, is not our deep longings. The problem is our wrong strategies. The kid who, who, um, who takes the easy path, who doesn't, who doesn't try much in school, who doesn't... He, he just doesn't want to fail. There's nothing evil about not wanting to fail. But it's been taken... It's been hijacked. So a noble cause of not wanting to, not wanting to fail becomes a, a hijacked cause to not compete, to not participate, to play it safe. So often the reason we can't get over our, some of our struggles and our addictions is we don't realize that it's really come out of something pretty normal. Matter of fact, there's some research on addiction. If you'll just bear with me for just a minute, this is, this is going to get a little odd because I'm going to talk about a fish. Uh, and and there, there's, a, there's a research... Um, uh, by, by Nicholas Timbergen. And he looked, at, he looked at different animals and noticed some of the ways that they behave. And I'm going to talk to you just a minute about the slackerback fish. Aren't you glad you came this morning? When I saw Jeff was here, I almost left this part out of the sermon, but, but I've regressed. The slackerback fish, is, he, he studied the slackerback fish. And what would happen is, is they had a noble cause. The male slackerback fish when it was time to mate, 
would develop a red belly. And then what it would do is it would create a nest and it would protect that nest and try to attract female slackerback fish into its nest to create a, a, a slackerback fish family. Um, and, um, and so that's, that, so it was a noble cause. I mean, the, the, the cause of this fish was to, was to, was to protect I mean, at the very core of this fish was to protect its, its survival. A noble, a noble cause. So Timbergen started studying these fish, was fascinated, and he wanted to know what it is they started to, they, they would attack. And he realized that the fish weren't that smart. And so what they would do is that they would, they, it was the red color that they would, they would, they would, they would attack. And so, he started putting different things in the, in the tank to see what the fish would fight. And the redder the thing was, even if it didn't look like a fish, the, fight, the, 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 the fish would go and, and fight it to the point where the lab was next to a, a window with a road and there was a, a red uh, delivery van that parked outside and the fish got agitated, like, I'm going to go take on this. The... Now, it was a, and he went on to say, that what's happened is this fish, the color red, he could create what he called a supernormal stimulus that would make this fish kind of go crazy. Huh. Kind of like our addictions. It's not that it, we, it's not that it's something bad that's gone bad, it's, that's, it's gone worse, but something good that Satan is, has hijacked. So the person wants to feel significant. The person wants to feel delighted in. The person wants to feel special. The person doesn't want to feel like a failure. The person doesn't want to feel alone. The person doesn't. And Satan takes that, and then he takes a supernormal, in other words, a kind of what, what you're made for, and then he jacks that up. And we spend our lives chasing a hijacked and noble cause. I, I told you, for me, with food, it just was pleasure. Not that that's bad. Um, and, and, for, and I guess it was for comfort. I, there's nothing wrong with that. It was for creativity. I like the taste of stuff. None of those things are necessarily bad. But somehow, as Satan does, is he takes good it would be easier to fight him directly if he just took bad. But what he does is he takes good, stuff that you're distracted by because you're made for noble. And then he makes a super normal stimulus out of it that you focus on and then you live for the wrong thing. Does that make sense? I promise I won't talk about fish anymore today. But you see, that's what's happened to many of our stories. Our stories started out with a God calling us. And, and, and most people, when they come to him, when you, when you first meet him, you are, it's because of it's such a noble cause. And the thought of being a part of eternity, the thought of, being loved by God, the part of being used by God and, and making a difference for eternity, the, those things just, 
stirred you. And it was the very idea of a noble cause that God used to attract most of you to himself. It's how he called you. And so what Satan has done is he's, he's hijacked noble causes and has us live for lesser causes. You can never, you will never defeat, you will never defeat your misguided addictions by just trying to resolve to not do it anymore. The biblical way to change is to create a greater longing for the greatest of longing to be for the most noble of causes. The way you change is not by, I'm going to try really hard not to be interested in comfort. Because you know what? I still like food a lot. The other night I went out with my son. It was the first time I had wings in probably eight weeks. It was the, they were the best wings I have ever tasted. I just wanted to take a bath in the sauce. So it's not that, that less than noble cause of comfort and delight. It's not that those are even evil things. And for me just to say, and that's why I never could lose weight before or get interested in it because it was like, I just, my motivation was I ought to look better in my jeans. I never looked very good in my jeans anyway. And so you're never going to change if the only thing you do is try to resolve not to do something. You'll change when you substitute a lesser noble cause for the noble cause. Will you create a greater affection, a greater passion, a greater addiction? When those things are replaced, because you, I'm not sure you can kill a noble desire. You can only replace it with a more noble desire. And so if you want to be changed, if we really want the gospel to live out differently in our lives, I think what we need to do is allow him to re-engage us with his noble causes to make a difference in the world, to fall in love with him. Isn't it incredible when you meet somebody who's first in love? They almost seem to be um, kind of lost in it. They're lost in a noble cause. And God invites us to be lost in his noble cause. So far, we've looked at the idea that we're made for noble causes. We've looked at the idea that if you can't, ever can't reach what you say you want to reach, it's because your a noble cause has been hijacked. We've talked about the idea that, that the problem with us is not that we want too much, it's that we settle for too little, that we're too easily pleased. 
And then if we really want to get over something, we need to start not by looking at how bad it is, but what it's tied to that's noble and see if we can instead surplant it with something more noble. We also mentioned that the primary result of a misguided, noble cause is frustration and exhaustion. Proverbs 4, 23, it says, above all else, this is the end of the section in Proverbs at the beginning where he's, he's committing to the, the, the entire book the, the importance of wisdom over foolishness. And he says this, he says, above all else, that's a pretty strong statement for a, at, the, at the end of a, a treatise on pick wisdom over foolishness. He says, above all else, guard your heart. For out of that flows the issues of life or the wellspring of life. It's the proverb that tells you that it is your deepest longings. It's your heart. Guard those things. Because that's what life flows out of. But ultimately, we don't live life outside in. We live it inside out. The reason you should know your deepest longings is because if you get in touch with how thirsty you really are, how lonely you really are, how much you really want to know and have your life make a difference, if you really get in touch with how deep that is, pornography, drink, those things won't satisfy it. Your deepest longings, the odd path to contentment is not found in pretending you have no desires. The odd path to contentment is found through facing the depths of your desires and bringing those to him. Facing the depths of your longings the depths of your thirst, the depths of your loneliness, the depths of your life, and bringing those to him instead of just trying to push it all away. So what was my job this morning? Well, I think my job was to remind you of something you probably already knew. I think most of you know that you're made for noble causes. You really are. You're not made to just exist. You're not made for busy work. You're not made just to get by. You know that. So my job this morning was to remind you that you're made for noble causes and then to begin to look at your life honestly and search your, your heart honestly before God and acknowledge to him What noble causes have been hijacked in your life? And then hear the wonderful echo of an invitation that goes to eternity that calls you to live for his ultimate noble cause. I don't know how my little journey will end. 
doesn't matter that much to anybody other than maybe my family. I might end up at 300 pounds. Might end up at probably not much less than, than 200 and something. But if I fail in this journey, it's not because it's not because I didn't have enough willpower. It's because I'll have forgotten the noble cause God has called me to. And I've let Satan take a less, a noble cause, but a lesser noble cause and have me live for that instead. I I hope that our time together this morning would have you thinking about What noble cause is God calling you to live in? And what hijacked noble cause have you become stuck in? Let's pray. Father, thanks so much that you did not make us merely to be robotic automatons, but you made us to live with great purposes. Father, you've given us a a kind of an an ADD toward noble, eternal causes. Give us the courage to follow those again. Give us the courage to acknowledge those again. Give us the courage to, to trust that you have invited us to live in such a way again. We pray in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.